And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is episode number 571. Mike Miller is not with us tonight, uh, but we do have another Mike. We have Pastor Mike Waters uh, being with us here on the program, and we're going to talk about continuity of the scriptures. So, Pastor Mike, I want to thank you for coming on to the program again with us. We've had you on in the past and always a joy to have you with us. Thank you, brother. This is an interesting topic. You know, the Bible says all scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the, uh, training for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, uh, equipped for every good work. And so mo the majority of Christians, I think, across the board would say they agree with that. But then sometimes we see there's a continuity and discontinuity between uh, the Old and New Testament based upon the theological system in which you are using to interpret uh, the, the scriptures. And so Pastor Mike is with us tonight to kind of talk about some of that. And so I'm going to turn it over to him and let us kind of teach us or let him teach us on this uh, topic and find the beauty within the continuity of the scriptures, as the title of the program says. Pastor Mike. Thanks, Ricky. What I want to do is to suggest that there's fundamentally three ways in which the Old and New Testaments unite. Now, I do have five ways in which they differ. Uh, but we probably won't get to that, Ricky, or if we do, it'll be rather quick. But uh, let me give these an, an overview, and then we'll just back up and, and buckle down and deal with each one in turn. First of all, the Old and New Testaments have a typical unity, and of course, I'll define that term in a second, organic unity, and I'll define that term as well, and then a moral. These are three wonderful ways in which the two testaments unite. First of all, there's typical unity. And by this, I mean the church, the New Testament church, is the fulfillment of Old Testament typical Israel. That is, Israel as a nation, in every stage of its history, was a type or a shadow of the New Testament church. And uh, let me just go through a couple of those steps. First, both were elected. God elected the nation of Israel out of all the nations. It doesn't mean that he elected every uh, Hebrew to become a Christian. It, it was a national election unto national privileges. But nevertheless, we know from the Old Testament scriptures very plainly and the new that God elected Israel. He chose Israel out of all the nations of the world. And of course, the church is chosen, is elect. So both are elected. Secondly, both are redeemed. Uh, Old Testament Israel was redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb from Egyptian bondage. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ from sin, Satan, and the world. A greater bondage. Perhaps we could say the, the Egypt of this world. So both were elected redeemed and delivered. That is, the nation of Israel was delivered through the Red Sea and um, the church is delivered from its enemies, Satan, sin, and the world. Both are elected, redeemed, delivered, and preserved. If you remember when God brings uh, uh, through Moses, he brings his Old Testament people, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt, he brings them through the uh, Red Sea, and then he provides for them. He preserves them in the wilderness. Now, this isn't to negate the fact that a lot of them died. 
But nevertheless, the nation as a whole was preserved, and that through uh, various ways. He gave them both water and bread. And uh, we find from 1 Corinthians 10 that we too, as the New Testament people of God, are preserved in the wilderness of this world with rock and bread. And of course, the antitypes are always superior to the types. But nevertheless, you have wonderful continuity between the two. And then there's the privilege of worship. What does he do when he, he liberates them from bondage? He brings them into the wilderness. He makes provision for them in water from the rock and, and manna, bread and manna, or, or manna from heaven. He then sets up the tabernacle and he institutes worship for them. He creates the whole sacrificial system, uh, the uh, priesthood and all of those things as a privilege of that nation to worship God. It was a grand privilege. It was a high privilege. Well, the same thing is true for us. Everything that was true of uh, Old Testament worship, uh, temporally and typically, is true of us spiritually and anti-typically. Uh, was there a tabernacle and, and eventually a temple? We too have the same. Was there sacrifices? We have sacrifices. Was there a high priest and a priesthood? We have a high priest and a priesthood. Really just look at the book of Hebrews at this point, and you can see all of the wonderful intentional similarities. And then uh, finally, there's inheritance. The Old Testament people of God, the physical nation of God, got an inheritance. And that, of course, was the land of Canaan. And we, too, have an inheritance. And that's the new heavens and earth. And so the first wonderful way in which there's continuity or unity between the two testaments is that there's this typical um, uh, unity. You know, here, I think I will turn... Uh, Ricky, quickly to a text where it kind of summarizes much of this. And that is Genesis 12. And I like Genesis 12 just because it's the first revelation of God's gracious covenant to Israel. Well, of course, at this point, it's to Abram and from whom would come Jacob or Israel. But this is the first revelation of what we typically call the Abrahamic covenant, which is tied to the old covenant. Baptists, we usually see them as connected uh, there's definitely distinctions, but there's progression within the covenant with Abraham, Moses, and David. It's a covenant made to Israel. Mm -hmm. Because all the promises made to, right here we're going to find out, made to Abram, who would become Abraham, are reiterated uh, under Moses. And they're actually obtained under David in the, in the fullest sense. They don't get the land until uh, David and Solomon in the full sense of that promise. But nevertheless... Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, now that last promise at the end of verse 3 is quoted by Paul twice in the New Testament, Romans and Galatians, and identified as the gospel. Mm. The gospel was preached to Abraham. Okay, but the other promises are all temporal. Land, a multiple uh, uh, descendants, and deliverance from the Canaanites. Now he's going to add circumcision uh, later on in Genesis, but let's just stick with those two promises. Land. 
uh, multiple seed and deliverance from the Canaanites. Um, each of those were literally fulfilled. They were in part fulfilled under, under Joshua, remember, in chapter 21 of Joshua. Right. After they get into the land, we read there that, that God fulfilled all of his promises made to Abraham. Mm -hmm. And we find that the land would be theirs contingent upon obedience under the Mosaic uh, covenant. And we find, of course, tragically later on in the history of Israel, that they would sin, violate that covenant, and they would be divorced from God because of their spiritual uh, adultery, and they would be uh, banished to the nations. But God promised to bring back a remnant from captivity under Ezra and Nehemiah in fulfillment of this last promise, because from Abraham would come Jesus, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so the whole point of him bringing a remnant back under Ezra and Nehemiah and rebuilding the, the temple there uh, uh, with Zerubbabel was sheer grace and in fulfillment to the promise made to Abraham. Abraham, from you is going to come a seed, i.e. the Messiah, the seed of the woman, promised back in Genesis 3. And he's going to be the cause of blessing the whole world. Now we know that's, again, the gospel. Okay, mm -hmm. but my point here is this. These first three promises were temporally, typically, and literally fulfilled to the Old Testament people of God. But they are also fulfilled in us in their anti-typical form. Because we don't have the time, Ricky, but if you just if you go to the New Testament and, and, and Luke 1, for example, where you have that wonderful song, that wonderful uh, statement of praise of John the Baptist, Daddy. Mm -hmm. And he quotes these passages and applies it to the salvation that would be earned in the Messiah. And he talks about how we're going to be saved from our enemies. In fact, if you go to Zechariah 1 and you read that passage, he quotes he quotes from the uh, from all three of, of the historical covenants, the Abrahamic, Mosaic and Davidic. And he puts them into one as fulfilled in Christ. Mm. Okay, so my point is. They literally got the land. They literally had a, a, a multitude that no man can number. And they literally were delivered from the Canaanites. We too, according to the New Testament, have all of that. In fact, so much so. And then we get that pure gospel promise made to Abraham. That's the promise of the new covenant. Theologically, we call that the covenant of grace. It's just the promised new covenant. We get that and all the, all the other things promised to Abraham in their ultimate fulfillment mm -hmm. uh because think about it none of us get uh palestine or or the land of canaan and a physical um uh multiple seed of hebrew offspring or deliverance from the canaanites mm -hmm. but we do get it all in the in its anti-typical form which is far superior okay so so there's this wonderful connection between the two testaments and that is what we call a typical uh, unit. You may just keep moving on to the second one, or do you mean to pause there? Well, just for just for clarification, because I'm familiar with hearing the the language type and anti-type, but maybe for somebody who's listening and they're hearing this for the first time and not fully for sure what you mean by type and anti-type, maybe you can give us an example uh, okay. of that. Okay. Uh, here's an example: the Old Testament sacrificial system. the uh, The animals that were slain were types of christ who would be the one uh, once for all sacrifice for sin 
or or more narrowly even we can say the passover uh, in the old testament was mm -hmm. a picture of christ because remember how paul puts it in first corinthians 5 christ our passover has been to supply their needs in the new testament first corinthians 10 we find We mean the fulfillment of the type. So a type type can be as a type of Christ. Solomon is a type of Christ. Adam was a type of Christ. And then events can be types of Christ, like the Day of Atonement, Passover, and then things like the entire sacrificial system, the high priest, the priesthood. All of those wonderful things, according to Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews, were all types or shadows of the good things to come. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you for that. Okay. The second way in which we find continuity of the two Testaments is what I'm calling an organic unity. And by that, I mean the New Testament church is not only the fulfillment of Old Testament typical Israel, but it's the continuation of true Israel. And here's what you hear oftentimes, don't you, Ricky? Yeah. They speak of covenant theology as replacement theology. See, we don't believe in replacement theology. We believe in continuation theology. Mm -hmm. Okay, so go back to the New Testament. The church is built on a Jewish foundation. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jews. Even Paul, the last of the apostles, was a Jew. Uh, and all of the first wave of converts were Jewish. Remember, Jesus said, first go to the, to the lost house of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't Gentiles in the Old Testament or even in the Gospels that were converted. But, but the bottom line is, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2, that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, those are all Jewish. Jesus, the cornerstone, he was a Jew. And it and and it consists of living or lively stones. The first couple mm -hmm. layers were all Jewish. So we, the church, isn't the replacement of Israel. It's the continuation of true Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, that's precisely why when we come to the New Testament, we don't have to look up all these texts, but there's so many of them. For example, in Romans 2, we're called a true Jew. Paul said a true Jew is one who circumcised inwardly, not outwardly. Inwardly, right. uh, he says in Philippians 3, we're the true circumcision. Mm -hmm. uh, he says uh, elsewhere that we're the true sons of Abraham. He actually calls us the true Israel. In first uh, in Galatians six sixteen, he calls us the New Jerusalem, Mount Zion, city of God, the nation of God. They find them being applied here. The true Israel. Now there's a, there are several texts that are very important at this point. Uh, let me just think of this one, for example, Roman. <clears throat> I 
versus 28-9. And I think we're getting a little bit of um I think we're getting a little bit of freeze up there. So if you could just hold for a second there, Pastor Mike. Um all right, let's it's kind of freezing up on me here. Um it's telling me the signal is all right, go ahead. I think it should be good now. Okay, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are unit and largely intended to answer this question. What about physical, natural Israel? Paul, you've been saying over and again that a true Jew is one who circumcised inwardly. You've mm -hmm. said that we're all equally depraved and equally recovered in Christ. What about God's promises to the native, uh, to the nation of Israel? Well, this is what he answers in 9, 10, and 11. Just skip over to chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Has he cast away? Can we trust God's promises? He made all these promises in the Old Testament. He said, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm an Israelite, a physical Jew. Mm -hmm. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I'm alone left, and they seek my life. Verse 4, but what does the divine response say? I reserve for myself 7,000 men who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, he said mm -hmm. back in chapter 9, verse 6, not all Israel is Israel. There was always a true Israel within a native Israel in the Old Testament. That was the true church. And Paul says, I'm one of those. And he's fulfilling all of the promises he's made to us. All of the, and, and go back to the promises. Well, the promises were to Abraham of a, of a physical land, physical seed, a physical deliverance. He fulfilled all of those literally to Old Testament Israel. And, their, and he's fulfilling those three promises spiritually or in the anti-typical form, as well as that last and great promise of Christ the Messiah, all in his true Israel. This is exactly, Ricky, what said what Paul says. And I'm sorry if it steps on toes, but it's the bottom line. Because people like to say, well, what about all of the Old Testament promises to Israel? Well, what does mm -hmm. Paul say about the Old Testament promises Israel? Israel? He's saying that God is fulfilling them all. In chapter 11, in with the believing okay, Jews. A little bit of difficulties here, technical. Um, I'm watching. I'm watching your your internet connection go up and down, and uh, I think we're it's going in now. There we go. Or maybe up. Oh, it's I can't hear you. Hold on. I think it's uh, getting some technical difficulties here. Um, let's see. All right, go ahead, Pastor Mike. I think we should be good here. If we keep reading into chapter 11, we find that God is taking the elect Gentiles and grafting them in with the elect Jewish remnant to form one tree. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, verse 17, if some of the branches were broken off, that is, 
physical Jews who are not elect, and you being a wild olive tree, that is Gentiles who are elect, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Root and fatness of the olive tree, the promises made to Abraham. And that's why we can go to Galatians 3. And how many passages in the New Testament speak of the church as the true seed of Abraham who received the promises made to Abraham? How is that true? And we receive Christ, who is at the heart of the covenant. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be a means of blessing to all the nations. And that's why Abraham understood full well that he ultimately would inherit the earth, Romans 4, not just Palestine, and that he had a city made without hands that he was anticipating, Hebrews 11. He knew that his hope wasn't in a physical seed, physical deliverance, or physical land. Abraham and all the other elect before him and after him in the Old Testament knew that they were anticipating the Messiah who would rescue them from their sins and bring them to glory. So yeah. there's organically, organically, one people of God. And that consists of those prior to the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the elect prior to the Old Covenant. If you start the Old Covenant with, with Abraham, which you, which you should, uh, and, then, uh, and then the elect under the Old Covenant, they formed one people of God. And the elect converted in the New Testament, they are grafted in and they become one people. So Jesus has one bride, one flock, John 10. Mm -hmm. I have others who are not of this fold, Gentiles. I'm going to bring them and I'm going to and I'm going to unite them so that there's one flock with one shepherd. So there's one bride, one people, one city, one nation and one flock. There's but one people of God saved by the blood of the new covenant, period. Yeah. Yeah. Paul definitely makes that very clear as well when he's speaking in Galatians about there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but one in Christ. And if you have believed in Christ, you are children of Abraham. You receive those promises as well. And uh, and as you was laying it out there, the many different uh, organic scriptures that we can look at to see that continuity of this promise that was given in the Old Testament carrying in and being fulfilled um, in in the church of the elect people of the remnant uh, that God has uh, chosen to save before the foundation of the world. But go ahead, Pastor Mike, continue. Okay, so typical unity. church has the same basic morality as the old all mankind okay now let me right. show you this from one text ricky and then i have a few things to say and for the sake of time it, it, the passage is verses 34 I think we are experiencing some difficulties here again. To skip. He's asked. Yeah, go ahead. Matthew 22, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all.
thought it was good. <laughs> we are definitely experiencing some technical difficulties tonight. The Lord does not, um, I shouldn't say the Lord, uh, there's, it's just not uh, coming out here. Um, I'm seeing it go in and out on your end there, Pastor Mike, and still out. I, it's back on, uh, it's out again, and it's kind of building up there. Okay, I think we should be good. I'm sorry. Or maybe we're not good. <laughs> oh, man. So much uh, uh, good information here as well, because this is uh, important uh, to see the, the continuity here. Go ahead, Pastor Mike. It's going in and out. It's that, it's that internet out there in Canton. <laughs> it's got to be. Oh, see, it's gone out again. If, if uh, you... Say again. Give me a thumbs down when you can't hear me. Okay. Okay. I can hear you now, so, though. Perfect. I'll try to speak as quick as I can. <laughs> so Jesus says there's these two great commandments. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, there's not three. Love God, your neighbor, and yourself. There's two. Love God and your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Fits. these two great commandments love god and your neighbor now this doesn't deny ricky as you know that there were laws in the old testament that were strictly and solely for the Israel. london baptist, the, the london baptist confession it's just what i've read here the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. By positive laws are meant applications of the Decalogue to a specific people for a specific time. Those can and often are temporal. Let me give you some examples of positive law. And then I want to go back and talk about moral law and see how it connects the two Testaments. A positive law is for a people for a time, and it's not continuing. Let's go back to the law that was given to um, our father, um, Adam, not to eat of this particular tree. That was a positive law. We come into the old covenant. There's circumcision, and there's uh, all the sacrificial system, all the dietary restrictions, all the grooming restrictions. You, you couldn't trim the edges of your beard if you're a male. You couldn't mix linen. You couldn't eat pork. You had all of the sacrificial things. You had seventh day Sabbath. You had the new moons, which were monthly Sabbaths. And you had the yearly feasts or festivals. All of those were positive laws for eight people for eight time. And then you had the application of the Decalogue in a civil way that had all of the case laws. Um, so while we, we understand that those case laws continue with some abiding equity, nevertheless, they don't come across one for one. So you have all of these positive laws to the nation of Israel, and then you come into the New Testament and you have positive laws. For example, the switch of the seventh day Sab uh, Sabbath to the first day, that's positive law. And then you have uh, the uh, New Testament ordinances of baptism and the supper. Those are positive laws. 
These are laws that you would never know if they were not revealed, if God doesn't reveal them to you. Whereas the moral law is, as we're going to now see, in man by nature. Right. It was in Adam, in perfection, in the garden as the image of God. And even when he fell, it remains in man, fallen man, in shadow form. And if we had the time, we could go to Romans 2 and find out that all men have the law in their hearts right. or the work of the law in their hearts is how he puts it in some way. So that all men know that they're to be religious and kind to their neighbor. Uh -huh. That's the Ten Commandments. The first table, they're to be religious. The second table, they're to be kind to their neighbors. This is in man by nature, and he'll be held accountable dependent upon how much of that law he's taught. Uh -huh. uh, remember how he put it? Those who have the law will be judged by the law. He's thinking largely to Jews. And those who sinned without the law, that is, they never had the written law, but nevertheless, they had the work of the law in their conscience. They'll be judged right. accordingly. Okay, so there's this moral law that's in Adam, in perfection, in innocent, in, in, in the state of innocence. It remains in him even in his fallen state, which I don't know how long that was. I, I Let's just use, for the sake of illustration, uh, the fact that Adam was elect and he was converted. I believe he probably was in Romans mm -hmm. 3 or, or in uh Genesis 3, it seems like he was. But let's just say, first, that law was in his heart in perfection. When he fell, it was there in shadow. And then when he becomes converted, we find from Jeremiah 31 that that same law is rewritten in his heart in a large way. So that means mm -hmm. he understands it. He loves it. Now he's given the Holy Spirit according to promises in the Old Testament, like in chapter 36 and 7 of Ezekiel, we get the Holy Spirit who enables us to obey the commandments. Right. So this law was in Adam in perfection. It's in all men in some form by nature. By the way, we call that natural law. That's the mm -hmm. law that's in man by nature. And that's why, Ricky, God never judged the nations for eating pork. He judged the nations for violations of those two tables. The moral, right. The moral law. Right. Uh, and then also it gets rewritten in our hearts. What? Gets rewritten for second. Oh, man. This law is rewritten in our hearts as unique. It's unique because it's the revelation of God. All right, Pastor Mike, I think we're um, <clears throat> experiencing some more difficulties there. I don't know if you can hear me. Can you hear me now? No. Okay, so the moral. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, so the moral law, Ricky, is that law. Oh, it's going out again. Sorry, it's going out again. Um, see, again, we, we're having some technical difficulties here, but I uh, uh, want to get this out to you. It's a lot of good, uh, good teaching here on this topic, and uh, I think it's. It's back up to full. Go ahead, Pastor Mike. Sorry. Okay. So this this moral law was in Adam, in full, in creation, codified at Sinai in Ten Commandments, 
rewritten in our hearts in regeneration and summarized by Jesus in two, love God and your neighbor. And that's why the moral law or the Ten Commandments was unique even in the Old Testament. It was the only law spoken by God, written by the hand of God on tablets of stone and placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so there's there's understanding that there's unique laws in the in the testaments called positive laws. Nevertheless, there's fundamentally a continuity of moral law. Mm-hmm. See, these are the t- three great ways, Ricky, that there's continuity between the two testaments. There's a typical unity, organic unity, and a moral unity. Now, I'll pause there and see. If you want to uh, press on into the uh, into any go back and review any of those things that maybe didn't come across well, or else we can move on very briefly to some of the differences that might uh, kind of round off the teaching, but with respect to the two testaments. Yeah, I think we'll move on. The only thing I would add there is is this is is more prevalent, I think, than than um, some people may think. Um, and the importance of having a show like this to talk about the continuity of scripture is, you know, I, I've been to a church once before where I was visiting and uh, the, the man that was teaching the class had spoke about uh, the Ten Commandments. And he said they do not apply to Christians today. And we're talking about, again, as you said, this the first table, table of the law and then the second table. So being religious and then being kind to your neighbor. And I asked him afterwards, I said, well, I said, what is sin? And he, he looked at me as if it was a trick question. And I said, no, I'm just asking you, like, what is right, sin? Right. The Bible says it's a transgression of the law. So right. how do you counsel someone if, if, if you have someone in your church that's committing adultery? And if the Ten Commandments don't apply to them, how, how, do, how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you address that? Um, because it's not a trick question. This moral law, as you're saying, this is binding. There's this unity. And it's written upon us at creation. And as you said, and then the shadow because of the fall, it's still there for us to be able to, to know and recognize right from wrong. God's given us a conscience. We have this law within us, but then that difference comes about when the spirit comes to indwell a believer. And then now they can keep the law because God is causing them to walk in it. Go ahead, Pastor Mike. Oh, I think we're experiencing some uh, technical difficulties here today. Um, uh, I see you moving over there, and then it's freezing up. Let's see here. Go ahead. It's telling me your internet's up. So, Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it on a practical level, misunderstanding the unity of the two testaments on a practical level, it's going to lead to a thousand and one errors. Mm. It's going to you're going to end up with two different peoples of God, mm-hmm. two different ways of salvation and two different moralities. Right. And that's exactly what you get in early dispensationalism. And then you just get all types of confusion. People don't know what law we're to obey. How do we understand the Old Testament laws? How do we understand the New Testament when it speaks of us with the imagery of Israel? How do we understand the Old Testament promises to Israel? How do we understand the Old Testament and the New Testament? You know, the famous statement by Augustine, he said that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. Right. And it's just a concise way to put it. It makes sense of both testaments. It understands that there's a basic fundamental continuity. And yet 
in in in, a, in about five minutes, I can do this one, Rick. Okay. It doesn't negate differences. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, when we look at the two testaments or the two covenants, old and new, we find that there's fundamentally at least five main differences. First of all, there's Gentile inclusion in the new covenant. It doesn't mean that there wasn't saved Gentiles in the old. It just means that he largely dealt with the Jews in the old. And now in the New Testament, there's the inclusion of the Gentiles. That's why in the Old Testament prophets and in the Psalms, you have promises over and again of the salvation of Gentiles. And go back to Genesis 12. Remember the first promise of the gospel made to Abram was that he from him would come the Messiah who would bless all the families of the world, not just mm-hmm. the Jews. <clears throat> Secondly, there's a fuller and final revelation in the New Testament. In fact, so much so, Jesus said, the least in the new is greater than the greatest in the old. And he was talking about John the Baptist. It just means this, that that we have a brighter and fuller New Testament. I mean, you find Christ all in the Old Testament. I love mm-hmm. preaching Christ from the Old Testament. But Ricky, when we come to Matthew, we see him there in a way we don't see him previously. Mm-hmm. We see him born. We see him live. We see him minister. We see him suffer. We see him die. We see him resurrected. And we see him ascending back to the Father, sitting on the throne, and sending the Holy Spirit. So there's a fuller and final revelation. Thirdly, there's New Testament ordinances. Um, the Old Testament. All right. I think we, we lost you there, uh, Mike, if you can hear me. Yeah. Um, hold up until we can get you back. Um, let's see here. Seems like it goes in and then it comes out and then it thinks it comes back and I see the, the signals going up and then it, it drops again. So I'm trying to get that because this is good. We want to, we want to see the, the, that there are some discontinuities or, or some differences, as he said, I want to yeah. say discontinuities, but some differences. And so I want that, I want you to be able to hear that. Um, when pastor Mike comes, okay, I think we're good to go. Pastor Mike. Or no, no, we're not. <laughs> we are definitely having some, some difficulties tonight. And, uh, Okay, describes. Uh, let's see here. All right. Um, okay. Go ahead. If, Number four. If you go, to, go to Galatians uh, four in the first three verses. Paul actually describes the old covenant. Oh man! All right, we are losing you again. Um, it's going in and out. Uh, okay. My apologies. Uh... All right, go ahead, Pastor Mike. Okay, just. Talking about the new to the new covenant with its two ordinances. The old. It's not to negate that there wasn't spiritual in the old or or physical in the new. It's just that the old covenant held out primarily physical promises to the nation of Israel, typical of spiritual promises for sure. And the elect understood that. I've already said it. But nevertheless, that's why you have the inheritance in the old covenant was physical Canaan. The New Testament inheritance is the new earth. And that's why you have Psalm. The psalm says that the meek inherit 
the earth. That was Old Testament Canaan. And Jesus says the meek inherit the land or the earth. Mm -hmm. And that is the new heavens and earth. So there's unashamedly a, um, a more spiritual emphasis with respect to the new. And then finally, <clears throat> fifthly and finally, there's a saved membership. In the old covenant, the majority of them weren't saved. Um, whereas in the new, uh, we find from Jeremiah 31 that all that everybody in the new covenant will know God. Everybody in the new covenant will have forgiveness and new heart, the Holy Ghost, and know God. Because we get Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. And when you get Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, you get all of the blessings of the new covenant in him. Now, does that mean that everybody who professes to be in the new covenant or in the church or in the kingdom? actually are no but we don't let them in unless they say they are and when they prove they are not we remove them why because mm -hmm. it's a saved society it's the called out and gathered ones so this is really a very important uh point uh because those uh, there, there's obviously a lot of confusion especially from our pedo baptist brethren on this point but the but the bible is very clear the new covenant is a saved society in distinction from the old covenant that was largely filled with hypocrite, uh, hypocrites. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you go to Jeremiah 31, when God is talking about making a new covenant, the main thing he says there is not like the old covenant. And right. then you read the book of Hebrews and we find that the new covenant is a better covenant because mm -hmm. it's the fulfillment of all the shadows and types <clears throat> of the old. So if you just keep in mind those fundamental, very important three ways in which there's continuity without denying these five dis differences of the new over the old, you'll be able to understand your Bible, Old and New Testament, rightly. Yeah. And that's important. That's what we were talking about before the program. And you said this is one of the reasons why you're you, you really so passionate about this is because you want to be able to give people their whole Bible to view exactly. it and not have it in bits and pieces where you're saying, well, that's not for us. This is for the Jews. This is for these people. This is for that people. Um, no, it's, it's God's uh, word and it is being, uh, we're seeing it progressively laid out over time, progressive revelation happening and more and more is being revealed. And then the fulfillment of these promises we're seeing, as you said, when, when Christ comes on the scene and, and now this church, this new covenant taking place in the church of God um, made up of the elect that God has promised of Jew and Gentile, not two peoples, but one people of God. And we can, we can see those blessings. We can see those uh, uh, promises and we can, we can take hold of them and trust that God is doing exactly what he said he was going to do in the old Testament. And Abraham, it says in, in um, Hebrews, I think it's 11, he saw this day. He seen and he didn't he didn't see them go into the, the land of Canaan, but he saw this day. He sees this better covenant that God has promised. Amen. Exactly. Yeah, this allows you, Ricky, to read the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, rightly, seeing the continuity and also appreciating the five ways, at least the five ways, the new is better than the old. By the way, those five I got, I took four. Oh, man. Hold on, Pastor Mike. I want to hear where you got those four from, um, but you did freeze up on me. <laughs> Let me see. All 
I want to say go ahead, but it seems like every time I say go ahead, then it freezes again. So, um, but I see you moving, and so it's not frozen. So go ahead. Let's let's try it. So where'd you get those four from? Well, the, I, I took the first four from Calvin's Institutes, mm-hmm. book two, chapter 11, paragraph or section 10. He has a wonderful uh, treatment of the ways in which the new is better than the old. The, yeah. the superior nature of the new as opposed to the old. Now, I've added the fifth that we believe in a, a, a saved society. All of the true members of the covenant, new covenant, are saved. But nevertheless, uh, those first four comes from him. So that it just shows that there's a lot of agreement between us and our Pado-Baptist brethren, though we do differ on that fifth point. Yeah. And that's the one thing we 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 want to, wanted, or I know I wanted to kind of have conveyed here is there is continuity within the scripture. As I was saying, um, you you want to be able to look at the scripture and not think, well, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that's only to the Jews in the kingdom time. That's not to us. No, it's it's Christ speaking to His people, um, mm-hmm. and so we can trust in those. And and as you were saying there, Pastor Mike, it it opens up the whole Bible. To where we can read it and see these promises that God has laid out and understand we're part of that fulfillment. Mm. Those are those who are these saved members. Um, and uh, I know that that can sometimes come down to a, a contentious thing where people say, you know, a difference with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters who uh, believe in, in the covenant, having their children brought into the covenant. But we, we know they're in the new covenant. There's only saved members. There's no unregenerate members at all in the new covenant. Doesn't mean that, as Pastor Mike said, that there's not people who will come in the church and you believe that they're a Christian and then they do things that are not like uh, acting Christ-like, but that's where the church discipline comes in and these people are then removed from that body. Right. So there are things in place to protect the body of Christ. And so, yeah, any last thoughts or words? I know we had some technical difficulties tonight and and uh, I'm hoping that what did go out uh, and, and what wasn't cut off was a blessing to those who who were, were listening with us tonight. But any last words or thoughts there, Pastor Mike? Well, I, I just would just reiterate what we've said, Ricky, that the whole Bible is for the Christian. The whole Bible is Christian literature. We just mm-hmm. need to make sure we understand the continuity of the two Testaments and the differences as well. And if you can get those two points together, you're going to be able to make sense of the whole Bible from the beginning to end. And it's going to become a real blessing to you as it has to me and to you and to many people for a very long time. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the program, Pastor Mike. Uh, It's been an enjoyable uh, show uh, without the technical difficulties, but you know, that happens sometimes. But uh, thank you again for coming on the program. That's been G220 Radio for tonight. Until next time, God bless.